Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join three self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education. Hey friends, our way. today we're going to talk about the top pitfalls of newly licensed real estate agents and whether people who think they want to get into real estate should get into real estate. This is going to be a fun one. Um, I think I'm going to start off by saying this is a no judgment zone. So <laughs> we're not shaming or judging here. We're just after a lot of years in the business talking about things that we see that new agents do that can hurt them and hurt their careers. And I mean, I will be honest, I've done most, if not all of these things. I'm assuming between the three of us, we have for sure done all of these things. So no judgment. But I feel like, what do you feel like is the hardest first few years of real estate? Is it the first five years? Is it the first two years? What do you think? I mean, we know that National Association of Realtors says over 80% of people who get a real estate license don't make it through year two. So I think for me, like the first two years were easy because you don't know what you don't know. And I think now it feels more difficult because you know that there's a solution to every problem and you're trying to get the person on the other side to feel the same way that you do. And I'm dealing with a situation right now that's highly emotional and has taken up my entire morning, which is why I look like a homeless person. And I think, I think for me, the biggest thing is you have to stay unemotional, especially to the outcome and the outcome is your check, right? That's what we're tied to. And you can't be tied to the outcome of a transaction from that perspective. I think, I think it's the first six months. Ooh. I don't worry about the years. I worry about the first six months because if you can't figure out how to grow your business and get clients and start getting things into your pipeline by then, I think that you're creating bad habits and you're going to have big problems at the one year mark. Um, and you're going to have even bigger problems if you make it to the two-year mark. I think that the first six months are a big indicator on how you will do in the future. And don't you think your first six months, like I watch new agents now that grasp onto all the shiny objects, oh, yeah. like I need to pay for this and I need to do this and I need to do that. And they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off, but they're not actually being productive. Right. They're just busy, busy and they're latching on to every idea rather than picking one or two things that they are really passionate about. Yeah. I always tell our newer agents to find a realtor in the business, doesn't matter where it is, and follow them on social media and emulate, rip off, repeat, duplicate, whatever the heck Lindsay says all the time. Um, like do that. Just follow what they're doing and do it the best of your ability and you're going to be fine, but you need to actually do it. You need to create habits because those first six months I think are a big deal. Like if you're not knowing what to do with yourself on a Monday morning and you just take the day off, 
Tuesday's not going to look real good for you, right? I mean, and then, you know, if Tuesday doesn't look good, then you're like, well, I think I'll just take off Tuesday too. Like, and it becomes a bad cycle, right? And then you end up working at Kohl's. So. It's like, um, it's like the workout process, right? Where you're like, never yeah. miss a Monday, never miss a Monday in your real, in your business, regardless of what business you're in. I, I was talking to my really good friend yesterday who has run a really big team, like one of the top teams nationally at one point. And um, he was saying that in the first six months, it's really easy to identify that a lot of people are allergic to actually anything that makes them money. So he was saying like, you know, I have agents that come into my team like all the time and they love to talk to people and they will sit and talk to people about anything that does not make them money for like hours and hours and hours and hours. But then the second that we tell them to do something that will actually move their business forward or make them a paycheck, they're like, no, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. So I do think that the first six months is pivotal. Although like there's just a lot of like passion and like excitement about the future and starting something new that I think carries you through like the first little while. Um, I think it, I think the worst part is like when it starts to get hard, cause then you're like, Oh, this isn't, it doesn't ever get easy. <laughs> no, no, it's not like it to be. I have to show 47 houses, not three. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ready for when it starts getting easy. When, whenever that happens, like I'm, I'm ready. Just bring it to me right now. I'm ready for it. It is true. Um, yeah. I think that people don't realize that from the second you get licensed until you die as a realtor, people will always have their hand out asking you for money for some bullshit. Um, and if you focus on all of that bullshit and you spend all your money doing all of that and all of your time and energy on that stuff, it's not going to get you the return that you need. Your goal to get started in this business, what do you need first? You need clients. You need business. So go out and get that first. Don't waste your time with other stuff. Work your sphere first. Talk to everybody that you know. Hit that hard. Like work on your social media. Get that going and then start adding to it. And you should be doing something every single day, in my opinion, that's real estate related on some level um, and updating your social media so people know you're alive. Okay, so we made a list. <clears throat> we have a list here of things that we think are the top pitfalls that real estate agents fall into in the first like five years of their business. So let's like break these down a little bit. Um, the first one is not taking enough education or classes or training. Mm -hmm. uh, contracts. You got to read that thing, right? Before you start explaining it to somebody, you might want to know what it says. And you better read the heck out of it and know it better than me because I know that contract pretty damn well. I like can't control my face today. for some Well, and like, <clears throat> even as like established agents, how many times does an established agent go back and read the contracts rather than just fill in the blanks and assume like I read, I go back and read at least once a quarter just to make sure that I'm, you know, still in the know, even though the contract only changes once a year, you still need to read the contract as an established agent. I mean, how many times do we send each other our contracts, which by the way, if you don't have that, you should find someone. It ideally should be your broker, but also a friend is great or someone, you know, that you like a mentor is wonderful, but 
Like how many times do we send each other our contracts and go, hey, can you look at this date and make sure I'm not like hallucinating? Or can you look at this verbiage and make sure that it's okay that I didn't screw something up? But, um, you know, like getting a real estate license is like drinking through the weirdest fire hose of all time because you go to real estate school and you learn how to calculate the acreage of a parcel and all this weird like 1800s Victorian language about lot and block, right? That no one ever uses, but then you, that's it. Like no one actually teaches you how to be a realtor. And if you're lucky or you make a solid decision, which is another point on this list that we have, you go to a place where someone's going to teach you these things. But like, I really believe that the first five years you should be mandatory in a contracts class at least like twice a year. I mean, and you should be reading your contract all the time and practicing how to present it to people. Um, you know, we talk about this so much on our show. For some reason, the real estate industry has been sold to all of us as a sales job, which it is right in a lot of respects. But we also are the only industry in the world that practices law without going to law school and having a law license, right? And so the ramifications of what we're doing, it's massive for us. It's massive for our clients. It's not funny. Um, and that contract is really, really big. And I think it's not just like contracts classes it's education in general in the first five years and if you're not in a brokerage that does a lot of training or education you can go to your local board you can go to nar which is the national association of realtors like there's tons of places to get education i get education all the time and this is my 20th year in the business yeah i mean at our brokerage we we have our agents do double the mandatory amount of education because we want them to be educated and that doesn't mean you need to get a GRI or all of those designations. That doesn't mean that you actually understand things. Your title companies give you free classes all the time. Go sit with a lender, um, learn the different loan types, sit with the builders, figure out, you know, why houses are built the way they're built. Like there's so much education out there that's at no charge to you. Like it's, it's a big deal. And the more, you know, uh, the better you're going to be as a realtor. So my, when I was running my coaching company, um, at a pretty high level, I would say the biggest mistake I saw new agents make was not seeing the value in having a mentor. Mm -hmm. Is having a mentor expensive? Yeah. Is not having a mentor expensive? Yeah. And so like for me, when I got started, I had a mentor who held my hand through my first three transactions. She was there to, it wasn't just a broker that I called. It was, you write the contract, we're going to sit down and go through it together. And we're going to make sure that you understand the ramifications. I paid her 50% of my first three deals on top of my cap to Keller at the time. So I was making, let's be real, nothing on my first three transactions. You will also never in your life hear me say that it wasn't worth every single penny that I paid to Bridget to have her. She was invaluable to me from the start of my career. I called her two weeks ago for help and I haven't been in her mentor program in eight years. Um, never, never, never doubt the value in paying a mentor to help you and to learn. And if you're not willing to do that, I, to me, 
I would rethink how serious you are about actually being a really good real estate agent. Okay. So how long have you guys been in the business? My, I'll be, my license is renewals due. I think I'm at nine years. And 21. <clears throat> I'm at 20. So how many times in the last, let's say 24 months in the last two years, have you guys seen a situation happen that you were not prepared for? Every like, day. <laughs> repeatedly, right? Like I've had the last two years, multiple things go to court, nothing to do with me, very thankfully, because I know my contract and I know my job, but um, litigation, we've talked about this, right? Like 21, 20, 22 and 2023 being like the years of the lawsuits. Um, you know, litigation is, is crazy. Angela is going to mediation on a deal, right? Like uh, all kinds of really insane stuff is happening because of the pace of the market the last few years. So like, imagine for a second, you guys being brand new in this market right now. Like if we have a hard time handling some stuff after that much time in the business, you've got to get educated. And some of it comes as you do it. Like I do get that. But that's why having a mentor out of the gate is invaluable, right? Like you run into a situation and I'm speaking from coaching experience where these agents feel like they handle it like you do on Million Dollar Listing New York, where you throw wine in someone's face and you cuss at them and you carry on and, and we storm away and it's this whole dramatic thing. That's not how real estate works. You need somebody who has been through the fire, who is a problem solver, who can sit down and say, here's where we're at. Here's several different options. Let's present them to the buyer or the seller and let's see what they pick. And then we go to, you know, you have to be with someone who can problem solve and help you think outside of the box. It's not always, there's no deal. That's one single solution every single time. And you need someone to guide you through different solutions. This is a really big pet peeve for me when you see agents come in. And honestly, it's a big pet peeve for me with agents that are like experienced too. Cause like we just said, with over close to 50 years experience, right? Between the three of us in this business, we still struggle and we still have crazy stuff come up. You don't start in real estate and go, what is the cheapest brokerage? Like, where can I go and pay $200 a year? I don't even what? think you should do that when you're experienced, but for sure, for sure, that's a big mistake when you're new. Let's talk about that for quite a bit. Because I think that that is the biggest choice that you are going to make in your real estate career is the first brokerage you go to. Mm -hmm. So choose wisely. Yes. Go on ride alongs. If they don't volunteer to like have you come with the person that's recruiting you to see what it's really like to be a realtor, um, to go work with their brokerage, to actually go to a training class, to see what that's really like, to see if there's genuine knowledge being traded there. If you're not doing that, you're missing the boat. That's the biggest choice that you're going to make. And that is the one thing that can determine your success over anything else is where you hang your license. It's not just, you know, an office building. It's the people. And are they going to help you? Or are you going to be alone on an island with an app that doesn't work? I that totally think that that's super true. Like I still probably 90% of my practice in real estate comes from the way that I was taught the first year of my career. So mm -hmm. I absolutely think that that's true. If you're not taught well from the get-go, you're going to struggle the whole time. Absolutely. 
And I really don't care what the split is. If you're getting genuine help, you are going to need it. Trust me. <laughs> if you are the type of person that doesn't have instant gratification and you have to move brokerages six, seven times in a year, it's probably not the brokerage. It's probably you. Um, so you need to be really, really, really honest with yourself in your first year, two years about what you want and who you want to be as an agent and what company most exemplifies that. And that's where you want to go. And my I first go there through it. My first three transactions were a short sale, a HUD and a for sale by owner. Damn girl. That's if cool. I wasn't at a brokerage or had a mentor, like how would I have ever gotten through that ever? Talk about trial by fire. Okay, number two, number two on our list. This is a huge one. Uh, the number two, these are not in order, by the way. The number two mistake, biggest pitfall that newer agents fall into is being too emotional and too emotionally invested in their deals to the point where when you get bad news or something happens, they get the vapors and have to lay down on the couch for a week. I think that comes from desperation or, you know, people that don't have enough money in the bank. This business is money driven. And if you're hinging your entire life and livelihood um, and whether or not you can put groceries on your table with whether or not that transaction is closing, I think Which that's where all been there. that comes from. Yeah, we've all been there. We've all been there. And I've cried many, many, many times when I was younger. And now I just don't care anymore. I mean, they're transactions. That's what they are. And unfortunately, you know, women, I think, are more guilty than men of being more, um, you know, emotional with that kind of thing. But I think that's one of the things that makes us great realtors, too. We do care and we take it hard when, you know, our clients get the shaft and, you know, we try to protect them fiercely. But at the end of the day, is it going to make you better if you're crying or if you're just solving the problem? I mean, I, I, do think a, I think a great amount of this comes from like tenure. Yeah. Um, maturity. And like, I've watched friends that have been in like, okay, let's just be real. Like Angela, you've watched me do it. I've watched you do it over the 20 years that we've known each other. Right. Like I've watched you mature and not, flip the fuck out every time something goes wrong the same way you watch me. So like, I do think a lot of it is just um, maturity, but I mean the best, again, going back to like what you said about where you're trained is going to be the ground for everything you do in your whole business. I was trained by a man who taught me like, it's okay to cry. It's okay to get really, really upset. But like two things, number one, you set a time limit on it. Like you can have 10 minutes <clears throat> to be really, really upset. And then you need to figure out how to solve the problem. Number two, you never cry or yell in front of or at the other agent. And number three, you never let that emotion transfer to your client, right? Because he taught me, which we talk about all the time on the show, a good real estate agent, the difference between one who feels experienced to their clients and one who does not feel experienced to their clients is they're a sponge. We're the intermediary, our whole job. And that's why this job is so emotionally taxing on us guys for real. It's a real thing. Yeah. We are the sponge in between. So we soak up everything, but then we're supposed to turn around and not let it blast our clients in the face. And it, that's just, 
a lot of inexperienced agents bring fear and anger and contention to their clients. And that should never happen. I think a lot of it is too, like your client's response is going to be based on how you react to issues when they come up. Um, so like I've recently had, I I'm primarily a listing agent. I've recently like last couple days had two different transactions fall out of contract because the buyers just decided they didn't want the house anymore. Okay. We put the house back on the market. Like, it is what it is. We'll get another buyer for it. I'm not that worried about it. But, you know, if I came at that a different way and it would freak my clients out and they would play off of that and then they would get all stressed out and then they won't have a good experience. So I think that, you know, it's really hard to train yourself to do that kind of thing. And I'm definitely not perfect at it by any means, um, you know, because sometimes I can get real pissed off at other agents when they can't control their clients. That's usually what um, sets me off, you know, Um but I can't, I can't fix them. I can only take care of what's in my corner over here on this side. And I can fiercely protect that as much as I can. And after that, give it up to God. It's not, it's not for me to deal with anymore. You know, I always, I'm in a situation right now this morning where I'm like, if they would just let me talk to the seller, I could easily calm this whole situation down because my buyer's fine. Appraisal came in low. We were told it was fine. Lender made a mistake. We got the call. It's $15,000 low. It sucks. It really sucks. But crying and carrying on and, and, and all of the things, what is that accomplishing? So my buyer is totally fine. She's been texting me while we've been on the show this whole time. Her sellers are mad. She's upset. Everyone's upset. It happens. It sucks. But guess what? It's not a cancer diagnosis. So let's be thankful. I also think that agents... I don't even know how to say this, like agents. And again, guilty of this in the beginning of my career. We all have been, you guys. Um, there's something about this job that feels like it's like a holy calling. There's something about it where it's like we help people and we do good things and we build American wealth through the American dream of home ownership, And we're stewarding them through the biggest part of their life journey. That's all very true, right? But like, we do have to kind of take it in context also a little bit. I mean, we're not rocket scientists. We aren't doctors. And it's a little bit gross how much we like inflate how important it is. And it is really important, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, not so important that like we should ruin people's lives with the emotion of it. Right. I mean, I think we have to remember at the end of the day. 99.9% .9 of us uh, barely graduated high school, <clears throat> um, can't do math very well, um, and we're all on a fairly level playing field, right? I don't give a shit how long you've been a realtor. Like your job is to get the transaction to the closing table. And if that means that you help educate the other agent, don't do it in a dickish way, that's your job. Help educate everybody in the transaction. That's how they learn. Like. It's well, infuriating to me when people get the wrong information because they're trying to find it on Google or something because you can't seem to help them. It's a very easy thing. Somebody helped you when you were starting out. Just be decent. Well, and I think the other thing, too, that people fail to remember is sometimes it's in the person's best interest to not proceed forward with the contract. And you are doing the right thing by terminating. And you are doing the right thing by your client by saying this has turned into a situation that's not advantageous for you. And maybe we need to go find another house or another buyer or whatever. And 
man, you look really great when you say that because it's sometimes that is the truth. Yeah. And you're not, you don't look desperate for the money. You're just um, a professional and you're showing that. Yeah. hundred percent. So to close this one, how many, uh, again, almost 50 years of real estate experience between the three of us. How, how many of us have cried this year? About a deal? Yeah. Or real estate in general, for sure. Oh, I was like, I cry all the time. Yeah, no, for sure. But <laughs> how many times in your entire career have you ever cried to a client? To a, to client? a client? Never. Never. That's what I want everyone to hear. Never, 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 never. How many times have you cried to another real estate agent? Never, unless we're just friends. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when I was younger, I might have done that as like a sales tactic way to get but that's different crying <laughs> by manipulation uh, emotional manipulation as a sales negotiation tactic <laughs> usually i'm just crying to my husband so okay let's, let's talk about the next one on the list this is a huge this is so crazy to me being rude or nasty or inflammatory to other real estate agents to me, this is the number one mark of an inexperienced real estate agent. I have never in my life been yelled at or treated like shit or talked down to by a top producer the way that I get treated badly by inexperienced real estate agents. Like when you do a deal, Jess and I were just talking about this. I just had a deal with another top producer in my market. It was like wonderful. Like literally the whole time we were sending each other like heart eye emojis and loving each other, you know, cause I was like, Hey, I need this. And she was like, cool. I don't fucking care. And I was, she, you know, she'd go, I need this. And I'd be like, great, you know, awesome. Um, top producers have been through all of this stuff, pulling the emotion out of it, getting educated, like all the things that we're talking about today. And they aren't like that anymore. So not that all of them. number one mark of an inexperienced real estate agent is when they're nasty to other agents. And why do you think that is? Because we just don't give a shit anymore. Like, it's just not, these are not the things that are super important. It's a transaction. You know, like if you want a new water heater in your inspection objection, it's not like a personal attack, like either get it or don't like it's not emotional. I think that it comes down to also like, there's this perspective, like being mean is like, it's like a dick swinging contest, right? Or like, if I'm rude, I'm asserting my authority over this agent. When really we hang up the phone, screenshot your text and laugh about it because you're being completely ridiculous and you're setting the tone for a transaction that has no business being like this, right? Like we've all done it where we've gotten listen, I probably do it more than anyone out of the three of us where I'm like, you are ridiculous and I'm not doing this. Like I'm the first person to hang up the phone on an agent because I will not deal with it. But I think it comes back to like this HGTV mentality that everyone who's newer in the business seems to have that being mean and, and being cruel, cruel is the way to handle business. And that's not true. Like we're co-op agents. We're supposed to work through things together and figure things out together. 
Bullying is not a negotiation tactic. Like, let's talk about that for a second. That's not the way that you negotiate. If you need help, which by the way, you know, our first one that we talked about was biggest, first biggest pitfall was more education. I don't know if people realize this, but you're a negotiator for a living. So you should probably get some books on negotiation. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss is my favorite. He was an FBI hostage negotiator. Sheena Satum, who's been on our show, teaches an unbelievable negotiation class. Like you need to learn how to negotiate and negotiating doesn't mean bullying people. And listen, yeah, there are times when we all have to put on our shit kicking shoes and we have to be really mean. And, and you also can't be afraid of having to do that. But I, it's that to me is like the, when I talk to somebody who's trying to bully me or run me over or tell me that I'm stupid or telling me to read my contract, it's a hundred percent of the time an inexperienced agent. I'm going to shut up because I'm going to mediation. <clears throat> <laughs> Angela and I, I think, are thinking the exact same thing right now, which would be hilarious. But um, it's also, you know, I, the situation I'm in this morning, you know, I feel like the buyer's agent is, or excuse me, the selling agent is afraid of her sellers. That's not my fault. That's not my buyer's fault. Like you need to, that's why we get paid the money we get paid. You get paid to have really ugly conversations and that has nothing to do with the other side of the transaction, your relationship with your client. Don't call me and tell me what I have to do because your <laughs> seller is not willing to do something. Like, that's not how this works. I would rather you fake cry and emotionally manipulate me. You're probably going to get more out of me if you do that. Than yeah, me, I'd be like, why don't you call me no. back when you're calm? Like, I don't care if they like call and yell at me. They can call and yell at me all they want and be mean to me. I don't give a shit about that anymore. But if they talk to me like I'm stupid, that's like my, that's my trigger. And that's when you're going to hear some F-bombs from me. And you're going to, you're going to get a blank resolution back. That's what's going to fucking happen. That's what happened to me this morning. And she was um, walking me through our options for what happens on a low appraisal. And I was like, I'm okay. I think I I'm good, girl. I'm good. Thank you, though. Hmm. <laughs> And agents that start out their conversation with an, another agent when they're going through the negotiation process of, I've been a realtor for X years, that's a dick move. Who the fuck cares how long you've been an agent? It does not matter. I have so many great transactions with newer agents than I have with sometimes the more tenured agents because they think they have to like flex on me for some reason. Like, it's not going to work. Like, I don't care. I don't care. Like my the only two places that that conversation or that that verbiage is like even close to semi-appropriate or helpful in my opinion is if you're dealing with an appraiser because mm -hmm. appraiser's opinion of real estate agents in general is very, very low and they think we're all stupid. So if you can nicely and kindly show the appraiser that you actually know what you're talking about, then they're going to think you're more legitimate and they might help you more. And also I will throw that out there sometimes very rarely when I'm dealing with a lender who isn't doing what they need to be doing uh -huh. because a lender will all of a sudden go like, Oh, well, that's a really strong agent and they do a lot of business. I should probably get my shit together so that I can earn their business, but never to another real estate agent. Like it's gross. Yeah. 
Okay, going into the next one, the next big pitfall of um, agents license five years or less. Not having tough expectation conversations up front with their clients. And this one is so hard, right? Like, um, should I have problems with it now sometimes? Same. <laughs> I'm such a people pleaser. That's my problem. I want to make everybody happy that it's at a sacrifice for me taking all of my time and ending up staging a house at 4 a.m. I mean, it can be, it can be really hard, but like Jess was just saying, like we get paid like doctors and lawyers to have tough conversations. And so you have to get better at this. Um, it's really scary in the beginning, right? Like if you have a, a two, two situations, like for sure right now working in the market that we've been in the last two years with buyers and having to, tell buyers either you just can't afford to buy here or you know we're not going to be able to find you what you want or you don't have what it takes to compete financially like those are really really tough conversations to have but it's like ethically negligent in my opinion to not have those conversations up front don't you think i i agree i think that it comes from a place that's more innocent though. I think it comes from just the terror of confrontation. And I think that you have to get over that because not all confrontation is bad. You just need to address it quickly and find a solution. Like when anytime something big and nasty happens in real estate, I never bring it up to my clients until I have a solid solution, at least two solutions for them to choose from. And usually that's pretty quickly. Um, but if you're just bringing them a problem, that's going to cause you a lot more stress. So if the second you find out there is a problem, figure out a solution, bring them two options, and then tell them immediately. Otherwise, you're going to look like an idiot. And I do think honesty is for sure the best policy, even though it's very difficult, especially when you're newer. Like I still struggle sometimes too to have those conversations. Um, fierce conversations by Susan, last name I can't remember, is probably my favorite book about that. But again, like education, right? Like these are the things that you should be studying and, and learning about regardless of how many years you've been in the business. Um, and if you're going to be a listing agent, when you're transitioning from being a buyer's agent to a listing agent, you have to get really good at tougher com conversations. Like it's mandatory because there's going to be a lot of them. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this before. I have a huge expectation sheet that I give to all of my clients that we go through line by line in the initial, and then I give them a copy and then I upload a copy into their contract system that we use here in Colorado. Um, and then lately this last year, this has been really awesome. Your sellers have never in a long time, let's assume have seen a contract to buy and sell. I've been giving them a copy of a contract to buy and sell up front so that when we get offers, they've already seen it. They're familiar with it. They understand that the contract is designed to protect the buyer. It's not designed to protect the seller. We go through what the dates and deadlines are here in Colorado, and we go over where they're allowed to get out as a seller. We talk about low appraisals. We talk and have those conversations before the house even goes on the market. And then similarly, I do the same thing for my buyers now. And this has created for me in my business such it has lowered the level of chaos in my deals. I can't even begin to articulate to anyone what it's done for my business. You just got to get comfortable with uncomfortable, you know, and like. 
But um, if they're prepared for it, it makes those conversations much 10 easier. times easier because they've already in the back of their mind know that this is a possibility. And you should never, like we just talked about this, you should never call a client while you're emotional. I think that like a lot of agents, especially newer, younger agents, think that everything has to happen right now. And a lot of that is trained into you by the agent on the other side of the transaction with you. But it is okay to like have your emotional moment and calm down and then call your clients when you're not emotional. And that's really, you should never be talking to them when you're emotional and tough conversations should always happen in person or over the phone. They shouldn't happen in a text message. Shouldn't happen in a voicemail. I think text has been one of the biggest issues in my career. Um, especially when you have an agent on the other side who only prefers to communicate that way, which is fine sometimes. Um, but there are times you have to get on the phone and it, sometimes it's a lot faster to get on the freaking phone than trying to deal with a big issue through text and tonality is everything. I mean, I got a text this morning that I was like, who says this? Like who talks to someone like this? And if I had talked, if she had talked to me like that on the phone, it probably would have become a completely different context. Um, don't she would have never anything. spoken to you on the phone like that, though. That's why she sent it in a text, which also is something that everyone needs to check themselves about, right? Like, it's not okay to just send it, like, hide behind a text message and be an asshole. It, that's not cool. Yeah, don't ever. be a keyboard warrior on your phone in a transaction. Correct. Okay, next one. Thinking you're a genius and spending all your money. Who's done that? Jess is not going to raise her hand because she's like an adult. But um, <laughs> I mean, I started real estate when I was 17, right? Yeah. So I was making a lot of money as a young child. <laughs> um, but and I have been a broke mom that was living paycheck to paycheck. So for me, I was like, hoard all the pennies, hoard all the quarters. Like, we're not spending anything. But I mean, how many agents have you seen, like just on your social media in the last two years that have gone out and bought a Range Rover, a Lamborghini, a whatever, multi-million dollar house, right? Like um, we've all done it, but I really, I, you know, when I started in this business 20 years ago, there was no training, again, education. There was no training or education on running a business, right? We were just salespeople and that's all that they trained us on. Um, and now it's amazing. There's so much training out there, you guys, on how to run a business like a business, you know, how to, what to do with your paycheck and how to save and all this different stuff. That's absolutely incredible. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you like dozens, like literal dozens of my friends during the recession went from multi-million dollar homes, which back then was really, really expensive, you know, driving the Mercedes, the Lamborghini, the Ferrari, like the big stuff um, to selling it all during the recession and losing everything. Right. So again, I was trained by a man who told me like, okay, awesome. You had a great first year in real estate, do it again next year and then do it again next year and then do it again next year. And if you do it for at least three years in a row, then you can say that you've done it and then you can go out and buy things. Right. But I mean, you can come into this business and make more money than you've ever made in your entire life year one and then get yourself in a lot of trouble really fast. 
I think for me, the biggest blessing of where I was at was my broker, Gabe, at the time was very big on teaching people to run a business like a business. He would do classes on QuickBooks. He would do classes on a PL. He so I never knew any different. My very first training that I ever attended in a training setting at a Keller Williams office was a business class. And so I was taught, get an accountant, open up an LLC. I was taught, get a business account. So I didn't know any different. I was like, oh, this is what they say to do. So go do that. And that's what I did. And so for me, like I never knew any different because that's how I was taught the second I walked into that office. And so when you're talking about interviewing brokerages, if this is not a class that they teach or can tell you where to go to learn this, that to me is also a red flag. I know a ton of top producers, not even top producers. I know a ton of agents who are in genuine tax trouble. Well, that was that's the next one. So the next biggest pitfall of a, a newer agent, five years or less, is, is not paying your taxes, which I've done it. We've all done it. Maybe there not. is no nothing that will sober you up more as an agent, <clears throat> a cocky agent, than a hundred thousand dollar tax bill that's due in three months because you didn't know what the fuck you were doing. Well, and you thought they were taking that money out of your check. It's not coming out of your check. Please stop asking for tax advice in these real estate groups. You need to find an accountant, a CPA, a bookkeeper, insert whatever you want here, and you need to get started with that person. And they need to guide you, not not me on the internet telling you this is how I did it. Everyone's financials are different. Everyone's family is different. Everyone's everything is different. And it's not, that is not the place to get tax advice. And if you're one of those agents putting aside 10% from each closing, you're going to be paying a lot more in taxes because of fees and fines and, and all the things. You need to start with an accountant and a CPA. I do something called Financial Fridays. Every single Friday, I pull up in the bank account. I input it into my PL. I know exactly what's coming in, what's going out. If I made a return and that's not showing on my statement yet, I know every single Friday where I where our financials are. Period. End of discussion. And I think that if you're not doing that at least on a monthly basis, that's a problem. Like you should know what's going on with your finances. And I have a bookkeeper and I have a CPA, but I personally know what's going on every month. Okay. So I'm going to back it up. We love you, Jess, but no one is like you. So for those of us that are not like Jessica, which is everyone else in this business, right? First steps. Okay. I would get, I think you should get a bookkeeper. I do think that you can do it yourself if you can learn QuickBooks, but I think that I have a bookkeeper. Save yourself a lot of time and, and effort if you get a bookkeeper. Um, I also think that you should read Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. That's an amazing book on how to, like when your paycheck comes in, you know, when your paycheck comes in, like it, the whole paycheck doesn't belong to you, right? That's like the biggest mistake. So like if you get $10,000, you don't really get $10,000. And if you don't know what to do with it and how to divide it, then you're basically robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? So read something or get some knowledge on, on how to divide up your paycheck. Profit First is really cool because it tells you how to open different bank accounts and like move money back and forth between it. And I love your idea of Financial Fridays. I think that's the coolest thing ever. I have another pro tip on that. Marry someone much smarter than you that has an MBA um, with a, you know, secondary stressor on finance and accounting 
and that that is like the best uh possible hire that you ever make <laughs> my husband is literally the best thing when it comes to accounting and finance and he works one-on-one -on -one with our cpa we don't have to do like i don't have to do it um i just bring him all your seats and he takes care of it all um and uh having somebody in-house doesn't have to be a spouse but somebody in-house that can do that for you is incredibly valuable um because he's the one that's talking to the cpa directly we file our taxes quarterly and we file them on time. And yes, it sucks every time, but we're ready for it. You know, like those are the invaluable things. He also, the second one of our newer agents signs on, he teaches them a class immediately one-on-one -on -one about S corps versus LLCs and what you need to do and when you need to have one. And those are all the really important things that agents never get knowledge wise when they started a brokerage. Those are, those are things that I wish that I knew because I wouldn't have had a hundred thousand dollar tax bill when I was at New Homestar, right? That's what happened. They're never, they're never going to teach you that. Um, most likely, yeah. you I gotta mean, go I, look. You should go look for that class, and you should read some books on it. But that's like it's really, really, really important. I mean, I remember I took Agent Financials, which is a Keller Williams class. Which you can, if you can find that, that's an amazing class. Um, but Matt Fedick taught it. I mean, if you guys, Matt Fedick is like one of the top agents in the whole entire United States of America. He owns an office in London and all over like the world. And he was a police officer before he became a real estate agent, which real estate is the number one fallback career in the world. Right. So most of us are coming into this from other things. And he went from making whatever it is that a police officer on the East coast makes to making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. And he's super transparent, which is why I love that class so much. You know, he's like, that's $500,000 in debt with the IRS and they were taking everything that I owned, you know? So like, it's not something that until very recently, I would say a lot of people started teaching, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to learn it. You might have to go places to seek that knowledge. Well, and that's, I think what my point is, like, I think everyone should be involved in their financials, regardless of who handles it. You should know what's coming in and going out. Like that's one of the biggest places people get into trouble too, is trusting others and not knowing exactly where their money comes. And so like, for me, I spend a hundred bucks a month and that's my bookkeeper and my accountant pays my monthly, cause I do monthly, um, my monthly taxes for me. And I get a P and L every month showing everything, which I'm not surprised by cause I do financial Fridays. So I just think everybody needs to be involved in their financials. Yeah, I agree. I'm On any agree. level. I don't care what the level is. Agreed. Um, okay. Let's round this out with the last two, which are um, investing in lots of bright and shiny things, tools and technology and lead generation and all these things too soon in your business. Um, I did not grow up in this real estate world, which I think is a blessing, maybe, but none of this, like literally Facebook did not exist when I started in real estate, right? Like none of it existed. Um, you couldn't go by Zillow leads. You couldn't go by Boomtown or Sync or all these like get rich in a box things, which listen, I, all of them, if done correctly, and with the right systems behind them and the right follow-up will make a profit for you. I'm not saying that they don't work. I'm just saying that, you know, now agents are bombarded a hundred thousand times a day with like all these little get rich in this box and get rich in this box. And they don't ever do the fundamentals. Do you agree? 
Yes. Yeah, I think it's just you are not setting yourself up with a solid foundation if you don't do those things first. And I think that's where most people fail is you have to do one before you can get to the next one. It's not just doing all the fun things to become successful. You have to do all the not so fun things first so that you can have a solid foundation. Well, I think that's also part of financials for me. I think this is where agents get into trouble financially. The first few months that they're licensed is they're spending all this money and they're expecting an immediate return. And I'm going to use Zillow leads or realtor.com leads as the example, or even Facebook leads at this point. And they're like, I get leads, but nothing ever comes of them. One, cold leads are a long-term game. They're not an immediate game. Two, if you don't have a follow-up system and understand and know how to follow up with cold leads, you're wasting your money. That is the truth. And it comes back to what Angela is saying about the foundation. If you don't have a foundation to follow up with leads, you have no business spending money on Zillow leads until you build a foundation and a system for following up on those leads. And you have to remember too, everything in real estate happens 90 days after you do it. Okay. So like if you go to work on whatever it is that you're working on today, most likely you're going to see the fruit of that, a paycheck in 90 days at, on the short side of that. Right. So, um, it sucks that now there's all these companies out there that kind of prey on real estate agents by advertising like instant get rich in the lead box thing. And you have to shell out all this money up front. But then even if you do everything perfectly with that system, you're not going to see anything for 90 to 120 days after that. So if you're making an investment in something, you really need to look at it like a little bit more long term. You're not going to pay for Boomtown, which is whatever, $3,000 a month today and then pay it off tomorrow. So you have to be ready to invest for a period of time before it's really gonna produce. And listen, it's like at the beginning, my friend who runs the big, big team said like, all of this bright and shiny stuff has made us allergic to working sometimes. And, and that happens to all of us, like no judging, but we used to, door knock and, and call and throw events and see people face to face. And, you know, real estate existed for a million years before Zillow or Boomtown or Sync or Facebook leads were around. Right. And so I, I kind of hate the fact that like newer agents feel like if they're not investing in a bunch of stuff, they can't be successful because that's not true. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that you need to spend a ton of money to get your business started. I think that you can start it with basically nothing and build it to whatever you want it to be. And once you have enough money and you want to pay for those leads or pay for whatever it is that you want to pay for, then you can do that. But you have to earn that first. Like I've save as much of, money as you can up front. I've always thought of paying for leads as, and maybe I'm completely wrong. This is just my thought process. Paying for leads to me was always like the, the next step to building a team. Yeah, I was literally just going to say that. And so to me, like, I've never understood. And again, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong. I'm just saying this is my viewpoint. I've always thought that the agents who started paying for leads out of the gate were wrong because they should be focusing on their sphere and people who already know, love and like them. And then if you want to start building a team and you want to be of value to that team, then you start paying for leads to be able to give to the team members 
Yes. And you've earned the right because you're teaching the team how to follow up with leads and you're giving them business and teaching them how to hunt essentially, right? Like, I, so that's how I've always viewed buying leads, which is probably why I've never done it because clearly I've never built a team or done anything with it. But that's how I've always looked at it. I feel the same way. That's kind of how I've always looked at it too. Now, I mean, we do live in a new world, right? And there are agents that are coming in. It tends to be a lot of the male agents, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of agents coming in now who are solely basing their businesses on technology. And that's very cool and awesome for them. Um, so I think what's great about real estate is there's a billion ways to skin a cat and to do this job, but that's how I've always looked at it mm -hmm. too, is you work your business to the maximum output that your business can give, and then you invest in something that brings more business. But I think that's like the foundation that Angela keeps bringing up. Like that's part of the foundation is you have to build somewhere before you can, whether it's a follow-up system or it's Popeyes or it's cold calling or it's text messaging, you have to build a foundation for whatever you want your business to look like. You can't just jump in and say, I'm licensed. I'm going to spend $10,000 a month on Zillow leads and expect some massive ROI on that. It's never going to work. And I would also say one at a time, right? Um, Gary Keller talks about it as red light, green light, right? So you invest in one piece of technology and you watch how it's doing, right? And then if it's doing really well and you have the system on lock and you're doing great, then you can green light and you can add another thing. But then if that stops working because the wheels come off because you're doing too much, then you red light and you pull it back, right? Like you don't go out and invest in 17 different pieces of lead generation at one time because it's like a million things flying around and you're never going to be able to focus on the one that you need to focus on before you can go to the other, right? It's like building blocks. Yeah. Okay. The last one that we have, um, and I think this is like, this is really important and not talked about enough is leverage. New agents not leveraging enough. Um, I personally think that not leveraging in a transaction coordinator or a, you know, an assistant at the appropriate time, oh my God, it causes so many problems. I mean, first of all, it causes agents to miss things and make mistakes. It causes their level of service to drop to their clients, which means you can go out of business, right? Um, it causes burnout. It causes the agent to hate their life. Right. And I just think, um, building a real estate business is just like such a tender thing that if you don't protect it really heavily in the first few years, it's going to go really badly. And I think again, agents are like, well, I want to keep all my money or, I mean, in my brain, I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way too, but I'm not ready for that. Or I don't deserve that yet, I'm not producing enough to be allowed to have any leverage in my business. Um, but I think that that's a killer. Agents I, do this thing where they like, they, you know, we want to protect all of the pieces and we want to protect the continuity. We want everything to be perfect, but we actually get to a point where we hurt our businesses. We are harming our businesses because we're trying to hold on to all the pieces and we're not doing any of them correctly. And then that causes your business to blow up. And it's really, really hard to get back your clients or to get back on track if you've blown it up. 
I think too, like a mistake that I see a lot of brand new agents make is hiring a TC too soon. Like if you don't know what the TC is supposed to do and what the process is supposed to be, you shouldn't have one yet. <laughs> you should know what's going on with the transaction and know what steps come I know agents that have hired a TC deal one. And I agree, people, with, I I agree with both. I think so too. I agree with both because there's some people who just suck at paperwork. I didn't hire a TC until last June. <laughs> okay, but wait a minute. I want to back up what Angela just said because I, okay. I, I do, now that I think about it more, I agree with you a thousand percent. You need to know the contract and your process and all the things. So you shouldn't hire a transaction coordinator deal one if it's because you don't know or you don't want to know how the things work. If you're just like, hey, I'm hiring a TC deal one because um, my goal is to go do five more deals today. Different story. But yeah, no, it's uh, yes. Hiring a, a transaction coordinator is not a substitute for knowledge or training. Yes. I had an agent you have to train them them to help on compliance. Like. I don't know how to do compliance. I have a TC. I've had people ask me that before. <laughs> yeah. But I do think that that's a big deal. Like, I think that um, most agents leverage way too late in the game. When do you think that someone's ready for a transaction coordinator? I think everybody's different. I think, yeah. Because I, I was going to say, I hired one in the middle of 21 deals last year. So apparently my threshold is 21 deals. Someone might be three. I think inherently for most personality types that are realtors, we are control freaks. And so allowing us to relinquish control to some random person that we probably don't know um, is a big stressor for me, especially. So I've never had a TC ever. <laughs> um, I have people within my office that specifically take care of my files after contract um, but they're not transaction coordinators. They just do my paperwork, you know, like they help with that kind of thing and keeping things on track. Insane. Um, but I'm too much of a control freak to let them do everything. I used to be that way, but then you get to a point where it will legitimately harm your business. You'll miss dates. You'll miss, I'm not saying you, me, like uh, miss dates, miss deadlines, don't get the paperwork out fast enough. Everybody wants something. Everybody's mad at you all the time, right? So I I definitely think leverage is a big deal. Well, yeah. like for me, it was an entire day was being spent sitting at home or every single morning was being sent, spent making sure that my files were up and I knew where we were at and everything. And that's when I was like, why am I doing this? Like I need to be out. I'm obviously very busy right now. I don't have the bandwidth to keep doing this. And now God forbid Donna ever leaves me, I'm in trouble. Leverage is doing the parts of the contract that you want to do and not doing the ones that you don't want to do. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And what about an assistant? When do you think someone's ready for an assistant? And everyone is different, but. I think it depends on what your assistant is going to be doing for you. What the, what the capacity is. I see people hiring assistants all the time and then they get them and they're like, I don't know what to do with them. And uh -huh. so it's part of the reason I've never hired one, just to be honest, like, and I've even done the whole sit down and write down all day long throughout the day, like what you don't want to do. And I still can't seem to pull that lever for myself. So I don't know the answer to that question. 
I think that's really common that 99% of agents don't know what the assistant should do. Mm -hmm. uh, they should send them to Monica Reynolds Perfect Assistant course. That's my fix all for that. The she answer for me is not 25 million a year, I guess. <laughs> I would like to say that we are a cautionary tale as well and do not do things correctly. Yes, there's a lot of stuff that we know about and then there are some things where we don't know shit about fuck. So you should hire an assistant and a transaction coordinator when you are ready to hire an assistant or a transaction coordinator. And I think mainly for me, I just wanted to say like, you should also not get shamed into thinking you're not ready for one. Because yeah, I do think that that happens like a lot. It I does. Think or get shamed into doing it too soon because mm -hmm. there's there's a fine line. You have to do what's best for you and your business, yeah. period. It doesn't matter when that is. Yeah. And there's no shame in you getting an assistant off the bat if you want one because you want to free up more time for you to do other things. Like this is your life. You should build your business the way you want to live it. So nobody else, unless they're paying your bills, has anything to say or do about it. So don't listen to everybody else. Do what you want to do. And then we'll all end up like Angela who leverages everything and just goes and does whatever she wants all day long and lives life and does what she wants to do. And we should all be more like Angela. <laughs> I don't know about that. Angela was doing things. She didn't want to do at four o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> Cause she, did we miss anything? Like did, were there any major pitfalls of being a newer agent? We didn't really talk about whether or not you should get a real estate license. So Apparently we're going to have to come back and talk about that on another day, yeah. but. Well, let's end with what's your one biggest piece of advice for a new agent. Ooh. Just one thing, your one biggest piece of advice. Mine is get a mentor. And I'm not talking a coach. I'm talking someone in your office, in your brokerage, who is your right hand man and that you will pay them 50% or whatever your agreed upon amount is. I'm not even talking a productivity coach. I'm talking a genuine, this is your ride or die on your shoulder all day long during those first few transactions. I would say ask for help. <laughs> Most agents don't ask for help. Most people in general don't ask for help, but ask for help. Like, you know, most of us, have been in a place where we needed help and we never asked for it. And so we did the hard way. There is no like extra um, like metal or like award for doing it all yourself and doing it the hard way. There really isn't. <laughs> Ed says, listen to the homegirls podcast. Thanks Ed. Um, except for on the days where we don't know shit about fuck. <laughs> Just happen. Um, I, ooh, mine would be, oh my God, I, mine would be get, like make the right decision on a brokerage that's going to support and tr actually train you and get tons of education and just figure out how to make it through the first two years, honestly. Because when NAR says that over 80% of agents quit before the first two years, I don't believe that that's because all 80% of those people are stupid. It's not because they're not great real estate agents. I think every day, amazing, you know, the real estate, brilliant people of the future get licensed, but they can't make it through because they don't have enough support or they don't have enough financial 
health to get through the first two years, I think it's really rough. Well, and I think, and collectively, don't go into getting your real estate license thinking this is easy. This is not easy. And I think that that's probably overall the biggest thing that we hear is I got into this for financials and freedom. I've had less freedom the last nine years of my life than working a normal eight to five, right? Like, so I just think that you have to walk into this with very realistic expectations on what this actually is. It's not $500,000 just falls into your lap and all of a sudden you're rich, bitch. It's blood, sweat, tears, anxiety. I mean, how many times do you wake up from a dead sleep at night thinking, oh my God, did I forget to do something on a contract? All the time. This is not an easy business. And if that's the reason that you've chosen to do this, this probably isn't the right business for you. Amen. On that note. Preach. <laughs> I think it's incredibly cool, like the world that all the real estate agents get to grow up in today, because there is so much, I, I literally sound like a dinosaur right now, but like with the internet, there is so much, there's so much training and education. And like, you can jump into, like, you can get invited now on Zoom to jump into training from another brokerage across the freaking world. Like there's zero excuse in my opinion, to not be the best that you can be because there is so, so, so much more available to you guys than there used to be back when I had to walk up a hill barefoot 10 miles each way in the snow to get to my brick and mortar real estate. <laughs> <laughs> and cold call without a headset. <sighs> Double done. Like boiler. My biggest question is always like, how did y'all get around without Google Maps and oh, Apple? Oh. <laughs> let me tell you a story. This has nothing to do with anything. This has shit to do about fuck. But let me just tell you this story really fast. You used to have to go onto your computer and print out your maps. So you would go to MapQuest. Well, first of all, you kept an atlas in your car. And that's not mm -hmm. a joke. You kept a map book and an atlas in your car, which is still in the trunk of my car because I'm nostalgic. But so you had a map book, you had an atlas, and then you would go on your computer and you would print out your map quest directions. Well, I was an REO agent during the recession and um, I had a HUD property that was assigned to me up in Cold Creek Canyon, which is this incredibly remote part of Colorado that sits literally up on a mountaintop. And I printed out my MapQuest directions and, you know, I'm, I'm driving up there and like, it was the biggest shit show like ever of my entire life. Like we literally had to, um, the snow was so deep that I couldn't get my little tiny Jetta in there. And that's what I used to drive. <clears throat> I had to hike 10 miles up into this property and then almost got shot by the people that were squatting in there. But you know, the answer is you, carry your little map quest printed and stapled book of directions up the mountain with you. That's how you do it. But there's no like, Ooh, you didn't turn right. So like if you turn left and fall off the mountain, it's a massive problem. My dad was, my dad is a locksmith and he used to keep these really thin cardboard maps in his car because he would pull them out of the city and he would get them updated every year when the new topography maps came out and he would glue them to his, 
um, cardboard in the car. And that's how I used to give him directions on how to get around the city. Ian, my husband always tells me, Jessica, you have no idea how easy your life is from back when I was a real estate agent. Cause he was a realtor. He was a realtor back in 2000. And he will always say like, you have no idea how easy you have it. You have no idea how great your life is. You have no clue how hard this used to be. So then I remember like maybe five years in my mom bought me for my birthday, one of those Garmin, um, it was like this big and it was black and white, you know, like one of the, and it came with a suction cup and it stuck on the windshield and it, that thing made me fucking nuts because anytime it got hot or cold, the suction cup would like get soft and it would pop off and land in your lap while you were driving down the highway, like with clients in your car and you would have a panic attack because you just got assaulted by your GPS falling off the windshield. They were wild times. GPS in itself is, that was like a massive, you know, what was the worst? The, the worst back then was really, we didn't do lock boxes. So every office would keep a freaking key ring with the key to every property on it. And in order to show one, two, three, four Smith road, you'd have to drive to the Coldwell banker office, 30 minutes in the opposite direction, get the key show the house and then bring the key. That was the worst. When we started doing lockboxes, that was like. Yeah, Ian says that one was the worst. And then waiting every month for the updated MLS book to come out because you, and you had to go to your realtor board to get your copy of the MLS. I have it in the office here, yes. And then that's how you would show your clients new listings. It sounds miserable. Like y'all are rock stars, in my opinion, for making it through. It is miserable, but there were parts of it that were nice. Like no one else was getting like, they weren't getting the MLS book on freaking Zillow. Mm-hmm. Like this is why us old fogies are in these Facebook groups all the time yelling about modern technology. Cause we're like, back in the day, you could only get your MLS listing. Angela, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all realtors and would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the homegirls on social media at the real homegirls podcast.